Hi, I'm Max Kaiser. This is the Kaiser Report. Max and Stacy are continuing on our South American tour. And as you can see behind me, we are in Rio de Janeiro. Oh my God, so beautiful. So much going on. This is a country in transition, I think. Stacy. Well, that of course is Sugarloaf back there behind you, one of the most famous scenes of Rio de Janeiro. We are here just as Trump slapped those tariffs on Brazil for allegedly manipulating their currency. But just like Argentina, of course, they aren't manipulating their currency. They're having a hard time maintaining the value of their currency. Not as bad as Argentina here, of course. But of course, Bolsonaro, their new president, you know, he's been in office for a year. He's a huge fanboy of Trump. So the word on the street is how much he was humiliated by Trump tweeting this out without informing him first. Yeah, he was totally in shock with those tariffs that were applied. And, uh, well, that's the world of Trump, so Bolsonaro needs to get with the program. Um, I also want to say, like, when we arrived at the airport here in Rio de Janeiro at, like, uh, 3 in the afternoon, I was surprised that we were literally the only two in the immigration line. Quite a few behind us had, um, you know, gone through the international transfer line, but Nevertheless, it was qu much quieter than I thought it would be. I expected, like, Boomtown. This is a southern hemisphere for their summer, our winter up north. I thought there would be more people here, more tourists, and stuff like that. So I wasn't sure what that was about, but it was uh, quite shocking. Yeah, I was uh, shocked to learn that, actually, in Rio de Janeiro, it's not really a big, boomy, touristy place. And uh, that would be an area of potential growth, right? I mean, it's very famous. People, uh, the idea of coming to Rio and on the beach and all this stuff is very in people's minds, and they would dream of coming here. But in fact, the tourism industry is not really where it could be uh, due to a certain lack of infrastructure, et cetera. So that could be an area of big growth. It could also be all the headlines and the news about the violence uh, throughout Rio. It is one of the deadliest, I believe the deadliest state of uh, Brazil, and there's like 22 states here. And I think there was something like 6,000, over 6,000 murders in 2019. So it, Oh, I mean, big... people from Chicago can come down here during the winter, and the murder rate would be roughly equivalent, but yes. it's a lot sunnier. But also there has been an ongoing corruption case. Remember the car wash case that uh, pulled in uh, Lula, and other major figures here. So when we landed, there was this headline, this could be really interesting, Rio de Janeiro's ex-governor currently facing about a zillion years in jail for corruption has reportedly signed a plea bargain deal. Just imagine the size of the fishes who must be involved in this whistleblowing for that to have been offered. He's been sentenced to something like 266 years in prison for, um, you know, corruption. And he's giving back hundreds of millions of uh, real that he stole. and. He, it looks like he's going to finger some uh, judges that were involved in this mass corruption case. So this has been a problem, of course, uh, stifling growth in this economy because, of course, with foreign direct investment and other sort of investors, they do get concerned that uh, you're going to have to pay off. And as this guy was paid off millions of dollars in kickbacks for you know, allocating various contracts, for example, building infrastructure in Rio. Right. So is there an attempt to really crack down on the corruption? And if so, it could be like a Kordoskovsky moment. Remember, during uh, Russia's transition to a more free market uh, uh, country, uh, they got rid of the oligarchs or attempted to get rid of the oligarchs. And Kordoskovsky was a high-profile example of that. This could be similar. There are dozens and dozens and dozens and dozens of people. It's not just um, this guy was a politician. So they're cracking down on politicians and the politicians receiving the kickbacks from major multinationals and various um, powerful corporations that control various sectors of the economy here. Uh, it is a $2 trillion economy, according to the World Bank. 
from a 2017 data that gives it a GDP per capita of $9,800. So it's a pretty big economy. It's a huge economy with uh, PPP, you know, when they uh, adjust for purchasing power. It's a, it's a really massive economy. It's uh, got a lot of resources. It's got a lot of potential. Uh, the, uh, like so much of uh, South America, the, the colonial past has, has created a lot of legacy problems. And um, also during the 70s and 80s, a lot of the, uh, the, the interference from abroad, uh, particularly from the U.S., has caused a lot of problems. So this is the, uh, the mountain that needs to be climbed. Yes, our guest in the second half, Robert Wilson, can go over some of the colonial things because there was a specific structure formed in this economy that dates back hundreds of years from the Portuguese empire. So it is unusual. Um, Wikipedia says that the economy of Brazil is a developing free market economy. It is the ninth largest in the world by nominal GDP and the eighth largest by purchasing power parity. The country has an estimated $21.8 trillion worth of natural resources, which include vast amounts of gold, uranium, iron, and timber. Of course, timber we'll talk about in the next episode. That's the Amazon. It's a resource-rich country, and, uh, but they are saddled with a lot of debt. And uh, because they have to play ball with the debt sellers, the bond sellers, the, the IMF and these other multi-global, the global institutions that love to uh, straddle people uh, with debt. And so this is going to be another impediment to get to a place of sustained growth. More than debt, their debt is quite manageable here, certainly compared to Argentina where we are. But Argentina has much better infrastructure than here. Uh, Brazil does not have much infrastructure. Uh, Robert Wilson, who we talked to in the second half, you know, he's done a lot of research on this. He's been a banker here for years and years and years. And part of it is the government hasn't invested, nor have uh, private investors. And that's because interest rates have generally been about 14.5% over the past few decades. So they make more money lending risklessly rather than investing in huge infrastructure projects. But now interest rates are 4.5% here. Uh, it, uh, and inflation is 3%, so you would expect a boom, but that hasn't happened. They did have a lot of uh, local Rio de Janeiro investment with the Olympics. So they extended, for example, the, the metro system out to the beach, uh, much to the disdain of a lot of uh, wealthy people living uh, in places like Ipanema and Leblon. But um, here's a story from Reuters about the ongoing economic situation here, because they've only been growing at 1% for the past few years. This in a situation of the global GDP booming and markets booming, and they're only growing by 1% here. Brazil economic stars line turning 2020 into make or break year. Unprecedented monetary stimulus, huge strides in the government's reform agenda to bring public finances under control and open up the economy, and a record low exchange rate should help fuel the boom. Sustained growth is long overdue. The economy has struggled to grow much above 1% a year in each of the three years since the 2015-2016 crash, making it the worst recovery from recession on record. The central bank just cut interest rates to 4.5%, which is very, very low here. So it, they, it has one of the um, most negative rates in the world, essentially, because of inflation running so low and yet interest rates as well so low. Right. Well, capital flight is also a big problem. So you have a lot of capital uh, leaving the country because of the threat of taxation and increased taxation on property and things like this. Certainly in Argentina, that was a the huge case. Yeah. Since we've been here, we saw Argentina imposing huge amounts of 30% um, tax on foreign exchange and things like that. Here we have a, a new free market 
um, you know, Bolsonaro is, has, is cutting taxes. He's removed the public sector from huge parts of the economy. And his government has sat back expecting uh, foreign direct investment, expecting private investors to step in where the uh, government has stepped out. But not, none of that has emerged according to this Reuters article about here in Brazil. So they're basically just stuck. You know, they're stuck. They can't get find a spark. Well, my kind of thesis is it is amazing here, right? And the population is entrepreneurial. You see it all over the streets. You see it walking around. Um, but the headlines of all the danger, the same thing happens with much of Latin America and Mexico. Uh, you know, we've been afraid in the past to go to Mexico because of all these headlines about danger, 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 cartels, you're going to get killed. Here you have the same thing. Right. Well, they have resources country, but resources are tend to be a low margin business. Yes. So for a high margin business like um, services, entertainment, uh, financial products, you need to have a story, an appealing story. You need to have uh, dancing and singing and make it sound appealing, right? You can't be kind of like a truck driver in the back alley, you know, calling out somebody like, dump that dumpster now, I told you that, right? It's like, ooh, I don't want to go there for a vacation, Ugh. right? You've got to have a... Um, Got to liven it up a little bit. You would think that would not be a problem in Rio, but now the reputation is that they're kind of, uh, you know, like a Teamster convention. It's got to be more Disney. Speaking of Disney, of course, they make their funds, and much of America is a rentier economy on the global stage because not only do they have the U.S. dollar, but they have intellectual property. So thinking of the fact that this huge Amazon, which is an amazing resource, totally unexplored still to this day. So the fact that they're willing to just chop it down and deforestation is rapidly increasing, chop it down and sell it for timber. And the fact is, you know, rainforest soil is very bad. It's like, it's not nutrient rich at all. So once the rains come, it just washes away and it's hard to ever regrow the forest like we did in America. Like America chopped down their entire forest covering the country as well and then regrew it. But you can't regrow the Amazon. So, however, with intellectual property, there are so many plants and, and all sorts of wildlife that you could possibly package into pharmaceuticals, for example. The indigenous people there use these ingredients for their own products. Um, the U.S. sort of and pharmaceutical giants and France and Switzerland come here and they, they look for these ingredients. But, you know, why not that's a higher value revenue stream that you can, as a country, collect for generations. Yeah, much higher uh, margins on IP, intellectual property. And the rainforest possesses potentially a lot of pharmaceutical breakthroughs that you can then sell uh, as, um, in, as such. And as intellectual property, you can scale that into billions and billions of uh, dollars. Whereas uh, once you chop down the rainforest, it's gone, it's not going to come back, and it's a one-time thing. To, and so, you know, it doesn't make any sense. It's like so selling off your gold supply. It's like Gordon Brown sort of move. It's the equivalent of a dumb... Remember Gordon Brown, who was the Chancellor of the Exchequer of the United Kingdom, sold off half their gold at a, a global all-time low for gold prices? You're the same thing. It's like, uh, actually, commodity prices are at all-time lows as well. So why sell off this precious resource of the Amazon, which you'll never be able to get back again? But it is a sort of resource that you could extract... Um, income for generations to come. The current kind of mentality, though, of the ruling class seems uh, not going down that path. They need, I would guess, in the leadership circles here in Brazil, somebody to come along and say, hey, you know, you have a greater opportunity here uh, in this rainforest than just chopping the trees down. You can actually uh, get involved in a much higher margin business, and you can become a global leader and develop some global brands. I mean, there's not a lot of, aside from the flip-flops, 
Uh, the, there are lots of flip-flops here, and I have like five pairs okay. that I've been given. I mean, that's so. the only Brazilian brand, I mean, right? <laughs> Javianas. Javianas. Yes. Brazilian nuts. But ratings agency S&P, by, by the way, did recently upgrade Brazil's uh, sovereign credit to positive from neutral. Uh, but the important thing to note here about this economy, much like, uh, say, France and Spain, uh, unemployment remains high at 11.6% and is only likely to come down gradually. More than 12 million Brazilians are out of work. The number of underemployed is around double that. And the number of private sector informal jobs is now at a record high of 11.9 million. So many of these new jobs are, again, just like in America, I would say, very low paid gig economy sort of work. So that's a difficult, even despite the low interest rates, essentially negative real rates. Um, people aren't spending because they have horrible jobs. Right. I mean, so China had all that cheap labor, and they were the workshop of the world, and they went up the, the value chain to create brands. Uh, Brazil has the commodities. They need to go up the value chain to brands. Okay, we're going to take a break. When we come back, much more coming your way. Welcome back to the Kaiser Report. I'm Max Kaiser. Time now to turn to Robert Wilson. He's a former banker turned private equity investor who has lived in Rio de Janeiro for 20 years. Robert, welcome. Thank you. Glad really to, great to meet you and to talk to, to you. Here. We want to dig into some of these issues. You've lived in Rio for, on two separate occasions over the past 20, 30 or 40 years, the last time now here for 23 years. Describe the evolution you've seen in the city since you first came here during the military dictatorship. Oh, it's a, a huge evolution. Um, when I first got here in the late 70s, just to give you an idea, there are, as you probably have noticed, on most of the buildings, there are guardrails and barriers to entry to the buildings. It didn't exist in, during the military dictatorship. Uh, so Rio's gone through a massive change in the past 40 years. I mean, obviously, the, the lead up to the end of the dictatorship in 84, 85 was kind of a precursor to the changes that we all experienced. But uh, part of those changes were, I guess you'd have to put part of it on Brazala's doorstep, who was a former governor. But the drug trade and a bunch of other things transformed the city uh, dramatically. The financial sector, which was largely focused here in, until the 1980s, migrated to Sao Paulo pretty much en masse. Rio still has a good presence in private equity asset management. Looking at the economy, you know, 30,000 feet down, what's working well for Brazil and uh, where is it not working? Well, the sector that's working, I would say, the best is, is agriculture. That's the sector that you could say is a homegrown first world sector, um, at least in terms of the technology and the production. In terms of infrastructure, in terms of getting product to market, it's not what you'd call the best logistically. Um, Brazil still, still has about, I guess, well over 80 or 85 percent of its transport of goods by road, not by rail, not by air, not by water. So the infrastructure is a, a bottleneck in Brazil. But the ag sector is a serious sector. Um, and I think that, you know, obviously automobiles is a major sector because it's technologically advanced. Um, the aviation sector. There are a lot of uh, car companies manufacture here in Brazil. Absolutely. There is no Brazilian brand car, though. There is no Brazilian brand car. Could they have a Brazilian branded car? I don't think that would make sense. You know, I mean, competitively, it just doesn't make any sense. I mean, the technology that the, the factories here have is actually state of the art. So to, for Brazil to carry over and try to transport that into a, you know, a Brazilian automotive sector. Because the tourist impossible. industry is underdeveloped, correct? 
dramatically underdeveloped. Because everyone knows Rio de Janeiro, they know Brazil, but it seems like it would be attracting more tourists. Uh, it's not attracting more tourists. I think, you know, the reason I mentioned like a Brazilian car company, it seems like there's a lack of fabulousness in Brazil, <laughs> if you will. That's a great way to put it. Yeah, you know, there's a lack of sizzle in terms yeah. of the brand. I mean, yeah. they have the Carnival every year, okay, that's, that's been around for a while. But is there a hipster scene? There is a hipster scene. Um, uh, lamentably, the hipster scene here, which is obviously culturally driven, you know, the arts, cinema, etc., that's considered today left-wing and frowned upon. So, uh, you know, the, it cuts in a lot of different directions. I mean, there's no question tourism could be huge in Brazil. It but there is a huge, huge global left-wing resurgence. They may politically maybe not getting great traction, but these millennials and Gen Z are definitely identifying more with, on the left side of the spectrum, and they've got a lot of discretionary dollars. You I know, think, I think here, you're right. I think you're right about that. And if Brazil put its mind, you know, to really opening up the country to tourism and creating the infrastructure for tourism, and infrastructure is really the, the bottleneck for everything. But if they get, if they could do that, this country would be absolutely fabulous for infrastructure. I mean, Is there for, a colonial legacy kind of overhanging um, the ability to break out of a legacy mentality, if you will? Is there a legacy yeah. mentality that stops uh, some dynamic growth or dynamism? I think there is. I think that the colonial history of the country is more of a mindset. Uh, that manifests itself in the lack of things in the country. I mean, there's a, you know, the tendency here um, is to always think about the idea of doing this, but the, the practical measures to make it happen are, you know, lost in the bureaucracy. Now, let's talk about some nuts and bolts of the economy here. So interest rates in Brazil have been cut down to 4.5%, down from an average of over 14% over the past few decades. Inflation is just 3%. Where's the investment boom? Well, that's a great question. Right, because everybody's expecting the investment boom to happen. I think that the uh, the current administration under Bolsonaro is expecting to have enough reforms in the in the course of pension reform, tax reform, privatizations. They're hoping that those tools will open the country for private sector investment. It hasn't happened yet. Um, the last time that we had a major surge was actually what brought me to Brazil, which is the 1990s when Brazil was able to marshal a stabilization program with the, new, with, with the new currency, the real. And that actually set the stage for the private equity entrance into the country. Um, it's a bit ironic because private equity here actually surged as an outgrowth of basic M&A um, mathematics. And, and the other key factor was interest rates. I mean, the interest rates you just mentioned were incredibly high until recently. And those interest rates created a situation where the Fed funds rate for Brazil is called the Selic. That interest rate was in the high teens for years, for decades. The banking sector made a fortune. But it also laid the groundwork for private equity because companies couldn't borrow for working capital. And so you had huge sectors of the economy that needed capital for growth. And private equity basically filled the gap that banking sector in the United States or Europe would normally fill for lending. So let's talk a moment about um, this infrastructure gap 
And that seems like a great opportunity for China to step in. That seems like that's what they're good at. They come all over the world now. They're building uh, one road, uh, one belt, one road, uh, be all over Eurasia and China, Asia, Russia. I mean, that's what seems what they're good at. Uh, is, is China moving in to fill that gap? China hasn't moved in directly into infrastructure in a big way yet, but they're certainly knocking on the door. I mean, China is, you know, is... Brazil's leading trading partner has basically supplanted the United States in the past 10 years. Okay, so is that mostly agriculture? It's not necessarily agriculture. I mean, it's, you know, it's some infrastructure, but it's not the kind of massive infrastructure that the country needs. I'm going to give you an example. Last year, 2018, the amount of infrastructure in terms of dollars was about $31 billion, about $124 billion reais. Just to put it in perspective, um, and this is, you know, 30 years ago, New York City alone went to the capital markets 30 years ago for about $5 billion of infrastructure debt per quarter. So when you try to juxtapose a developing world country with first world development, it really is kind of stark. There's not a lot of money going into infrastructure in Brazil. Let's talk uh, regions. Uh, you said that the finance sector has moved to Sao Paulo. And I, I guess that would include uh, the private equity uh, sector. And private equity, interestingly enough, um, and asset management are, relatively speaking, split between the two cities. I mean, the, the commercial banking sector has headquartered itself in Sao Paulo, I think, permanently. That's not going to come back. But private equity and, uh, and asset management are still, they have, still have a presence here, a decent presence. Obviously, the, the muscle is in Sao Paulo, but there's a decent presence in Rio. Is there um, like a high-tech hub like you see in other cities around the world? Uh, a lot of support for enterprise zones, for tech startups. Is there a startup culture here? There's a startup culture here. Um, it's headquartered largely in Sao Paulo. There are a few ancillary places like Florianopolis and Belo Horizonte that are playing some kind of minor roles, but Sao Paulo really is the juggernaut for startups. Um, but even that in Sao Paulo, I mean, if you took the three or four pedigree venture capital firms in Sao Paulo and uprooted them and took them away, Sao Paulo wouldn't feel it. I mean, there's really, it's, 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 a, it's a small piece of the puzzle in Sao Paulo, whereas something like that in Rio potentially could be big, and that's, I think, what Rio should be doing, should be thinking about in terms of its future. It really is a, a tech and science future, not just for Rio, but for Brazil generally. So we'll play, uh, theoretically, you're a finance minister. You've just been named finance minister of Brazil. Congratulations. And uh, it's your first week in office. What would you do, uh, hypothetically, what would be your first two or three steps that you would take to bootstrap uh, some of these sectors, or what would you do? I would do something radical. I mean, I would, um, I would carve out the state of Rio to create an Israel inside the country of Brazil but have it literally marshaled and structured in a way that was apart from the rest of the country. Um, we have to, you know, recognize the fact that the country itself is, is stagnated largely because of bureaucracy. But you're recognizing Israel as a tech, uh, as a tech hub. hub, right? Right. Because they have now a tremendous amount of, of tech projects coming out of Israel. Absolutely. And I think that's something that Latin America could do. There's no, there's no real tech hub in Latin America. I mean, the closest city is really Monterey, and that really doesn't, doesn't cut it. There's no Silicon Valley in Latin America. Is that because lack of capital or lack of enterprise or lack of or a mental shift is needed? I think it's all three. I mean, I think it's a, you know, it's a conjunction. Obviously, part of it has to do, too, with university infrastructure, how much we're producing in terms of human capital. 
Um, but uh, you know, I think that the future for the country is largely tech and science driven, and that's probably where it's weakest in terms of industry sectors. Is the education system, um, is it like, available to all? Is it free or is what's going on there? You can go through the educational system for free or for very little in terms of cost if it's public education. But even public education has what amounts to be a barrier in terms of testing. So most of the wealthy here in Brazil um, go to a very well-endowed private schools, get very well-trained in lower school and high school, and then graduate and go to public university because it's so cheap. Needless to say, the people at the bottom of the pyramid can't afford those kinds of private lessons for 10 or 12 years. So they basically hit a barrier when they get to the to the, you know, the, the university strata of education. It's very difficult to enter. I'm learning a lot. This is fantastic. You're giving me an education. Yeah. We're going to take a break. We'll have another segment to get in more into this Please. Brazilian phenomenon. But look, look thanks so much for being on the Kaiser Report. Thank you. And that's going to do it for this edition of the Kaiser Report with me, Max Kaiser, and Stacey Herbert. I'd like to thank our guest, Robert Wilson. If you'd like to get in touch, tweet us at Kaiser Report. Until next time, bye, y'all. At American University, we don't just hope for change, we create it. We don't just dream of a better world, we make it a reality. With a graduate degree from AU, you'll access expert faculty and connections throughout DC to develop skills and experience to turn your passion into purpose. And that purpose can make all the difference in your career. Discover the difference a degree makes at American.edu slash gradschool.